welcome to From There to Here, the podcast in which we ask people about their journey through life to where they are now, the challenges they faced, the breaks they've had, and the people and events that have shaped their journey so far. We also want to use this podcast to encourage people who are facing mental health challenges at the moment to reach out to their friends, family, and the many agencies operating in this area. And to say to you, it will get better. It will get better. My guest today is Gara Cowley, one of the rapidly rising stars of the acting and musical theatre worlds. He is fresh from the peering in the Olivier Award-winning Standing at the Sky's Edge at the National Theatre. Later this year, he will be seen in the big-budget American drama series Masters of the Air, alongside such luminaries as Austin Butler and Callum Turner. Executive producers include little-known people trying to make their way in the film world, like Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. So, how did he get from there to here? Let's find out. Welcome, Dara. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, no, great pleasure. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for doing it. You know that we talk people through their life journey. So tell us a little mm. bit, if you will, about Dara the boy and, you know, your childhood and uh, and so on. So I was born in Stockport. My dad was in the Navy and my mum looked after me and my brother and sister. Uh, you know, we were fortunate enough that my mum could run her business and my dad uh, worked at the Navy. And then when I was four years old, we moved down to Portsmouth, uh, where I attended a Roman Catholic primary school for three years before moving back up to Stockport when I, just before I was about to start year three. And so between year three and year six, I spent in a Catholic boys uh, prep school. And then years seven to 11, I stayed at that school that it, it was no longer a private school. This secondary school was a was a, was a was a selective uh, Catholic grammar school. So, Dad being in the Navy was that was that difficult in terms of him not being around at all? Or um, it was harder for my for my brother and sister. By the time I by the time I was sort of conscious, you know, all of my memory, my dad was always at home. But my brother and sister remember him going away for weeks at a time, which is why we moved down to Portsmouth. Tell me about school days. What were they like? Oh, not wonderful. They were good and bad. They were, but they, I didn't like primary school. My first one was absolutely glorious. It was very sort of leafy suburban South Sea, a very uh, quite atypical English primary school. And then the second one was not. So we lived in naval housing in Portsmouth. And uh, when I came back up to Stockport, they sent me to St. Ambrose Prep, which was definitely a new money primary school. And, and my parents were raised like quite traditionally, you know, my mum was raised in, in, in Stockport, in Manchester, um, to Irish Catholics. Um, and so suddenly I was in this kind of like flash world as a seven year old that I'd never seen before. And I'd come from Portsmouth and I had an accent. Um, and that was immediately like a, an absolute no from everybody. Um, but as a seven-year-old, I uh, I never really sort of found my place within school. But I did sing in the choir, and I was good at that, and I loved that. And we used to sing a, uh, we used to sing at competitions and churches all around Manchester. And so I found my family was always very musical, and so I I found a lot of love for that. I think by seven years old, I'd seen a few different worlds. Not worlds, but I'd see I'd seen a few different communities, and I and I, I I didn't understand the one I was in. There was there was a crossover, 
between there was three really sporty lads who could also really sing and so there was an element of boisterous competition within the choir then which was the only sort of redeeming factor i get to secondary school and that's gone totally gone and so when i joined the choir there it was a very very different atmosphere it was very you know and i didn't have many mates back in stockport because altrincham where i went to school was a far far away from stockport and i was 11 years old and my parents were like oh god no sent him to school an hour and a half away for too long um now he's got no friends to hang out with at the weekend and so they sent me to a, an extracurricular drama um at the plaza theater in stockport um so that's and so I fell in love with it. So was that their idea to go to drama or, or did you express the desire to do that? My sister had been doing some bits down at the Garrick Theatre in Stockport and I'd been to see some of the bits that she'd done with her group of friends. And, you know, I think it was, I think the main draw was that I'd been to see this, this group of people, this group of eccentrics, and that was, and Alana had got on, my sister Alana had got on so well with this group that I'd seen that and I thought... I don't have that. And even and even at school with the friends I did have, that sort of eccentricism wasn't something that we massively shared. I was an eccentric, um, well, so to speak. Um, but the hobbies that, you know, we liked Pokemon and reading books and uh, Doctor Who, and they're the things we spoke about together. I didn't have anyone that I, that I did share music with, really. And so I'd been to see my sister do these things. Um, and I thought, wow, this group's great. This group is fantastic. I, you know, and my mum was literally, she was reading the paper one week and she said, oh, there's this thing on next week. Do you want to go down? Maybe it'd be nice to do with your weekends because all I was doing was sitting playing video games. And she said, it was kind of like the thing that Alana was doing, but Alana would prefer for you not to be the one that she was at. And I was like, yeah, I get that. That's fine. Um, and I went down to the plaza and I didn't love it at first but i sort of i felt something start to come out of my shell and that was my first experience with drama as opposed to sort of music um and uh performance um i did it in school and everybody kind of knew that i did it in school and by sort of year 10 everyone sort of came off the gas a bit and everybody sort of just let everybody uh do their thing a bit more you still had Romans and you know lads who were yet to mature who would still give you a bit of flack for it but uh ultimately by year 10 things had calmed down for the most part and by year 11 no one's bothered everyone's a young adult by then more or less and when i was then going off to performing at school everyone was a bit like all oh, right okay Fair enough, like, that's his thing and, and we'll leave him there. When I told my rugby coach that I was going to perform in art school, he had absolutely no idea that it was even something I was interested in. And to me, that explains pretty perfectly the kind of school that it was that I was doing this so much. And I was doing it in school. I was doing it extra, extra curricular in school. I was, I was a front in the GCSE for it. And so, but the, 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 it was alien in a school like that for the most part. And so it wasn't always particularly easy to fit in, as you can imagine. Is that still having its effect? Yeah, it is. It massively is. The best way I can describe it is as though I think about those people 
from any chapter of my life that have made me feel embarrassed or have made me feel ashamed. And when I think about wanting to put myself out there and wanting to create and wanting to, I don't know, write or perform something new, all I can imagine in a metaphysical world is all of these people just stood in a big ring around me. Like there are millions and millions of people who enjoy the same things that I enjoy. But that small sort of those few, possibly even a hundred, 200 people that I probably couldn't even tell you specifically what those people had done, but I could tell you how they'd made me feel that really does still stop me from sort of wanting to put myself out there and try new things because I just, I just think about the people I know rather than the people that I don't know who would want to share that with me. There are many things that that, that are impressive about you. You're obviously extremely talented, but actually what is so impressive is that you pushed through that. You went to evening classes and you went to the local drama group and um, and you found something in it, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment, but uh, you persisted with it, despite the fact that it was not enhancing your reputation in the minds of the people you were surrounded by. I think you have to have an amount of blind confidence. I think it helps to have blind confidence at that age anyway, to go, I'm a drama kid and, and I'm this, that and the other. And it's, you know, it's it's a response. You know, it's, 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 it's an action and reaction. So there would be a point when you went from thinking, I've now found a thing that I really like doing and I really like doing it so much that I want to do it every evening to the point where you think this could be the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. This is, I am an actor. Do you, do, do, do you recall, I imagine that doesn't happen in an instant. I imagine it happens over time, but do you recall that process? Um, I was at Amdram. I was at uh, a group called the Yardstick Narrative Company. And we were for we were doing Romeo and Juliet, and we were recording lines for the opening bit that we were doing. You know, two households both alike in dignity, etc. And the guy uh, recording it, he just he ran the group. He just said to me, "Did have you ever wanted to be? Have you ever thought about becoming an actor?" Yeah. And I thought, "What are you on about? It'd be daft. You don't just become an actor." And he was like, yeah, yeah, you do. And I was like, what, what are you on about? How, how do you become, how do you be an actor? Like, you know, uh, and he was like, well, drama school. And I was like, drama school? I can go to school for this. What, you know, you're lying. Um, and he was like, yeah, 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 these things, they exist. And then he told me about Pendleton and that a few other people in the group had, had gone to Pendleton or were going. And I found out that I didn't have to do A-levels. I could do drama as a B-tech. And I was like, yeah, mate, up on my feet all day, you know, singing and I'd learn to dance. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to be on the West End and all that. Uh, and that was, that was it. That was, that was, that was the moment that I was like, damn, this is what I'm doing. Um, and it took a lot of convincing from, from then, I'd had ideas about what I'd wanted to be before. I'd wanted to be a writer when I was in primary school. I wanted to write stories. I wanted to write books. Um, when I was, I think, six or seven, I said I wanted to be an archaeologist. Um, but, they, but that was it. Um, and I knew that I loved it. But in my, as a 14-year-old, I hadn't decided what I'd really wanted to do. But I knew that I, you know, I knew that I loved this. And then someone says, well, why don't you do this? And I was like, what? Yeah, so I did it. 
<laughs> that was it. Which is which is brilliant, and uh, and of course it's uh, what you've achieved so far is extraordinary. I, I imagine that you had to fight for that a little bit. I imagine that uh, mum and dad wouldn't uh, if he thought this was the greatest course of action. No, they were fine. They were like they they wanted me to do my A levels, and then they said once I'd done my A levels, then I could go to I could go to drama school. Um. But uh, I, I didn't want to do A-levels. I didn't like school. I didn't like revising. And so what I'd heard is that you could do the musical theatre B-Tech and one A-level alongside it. Um, so I was going to go and do an English lit A-level with the musical theatre B-Tech. Um, and my parents were like, no, just do your A-levels. Do your A-levels. Please, please, please do your A-levels. Uh, I wasn't really having any of it. Um, so I signed up for the audition. And I went on and I got a place. Um, and I was told to bits. I couldn't believe it. Um, and my parents were like, all right. By this point, by the time I think I'd gone to the audition, I think they were more on board. Sure. Um, but I went and in that first term, we did our first show, which was called The Christmas Cabaret. <laughs> which was which were fantastic days actually they they were such a laugh they were so silly um and my parents came to see the and this is like a a review show so just lots of different musical numbers maybe yeah. to a theme that year we did wizard of oz amongst others my parents came to see that show and uh on the way home my because my parents were always very, very supportive. They loved coming to see the shows. And they would often come to, if I was in a show over a weekend, you know, as it is with Amjam, you do four or five shows over a weekend and that's it. They'd come to three or four of them, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and they'd been worried about me going to Pendleton and giving up a formal education. And in the car on the way home, my dad said to me, he said, look, me and your mum have no idea what it is that you are doing. Um, but you've made this decision and to us, it looks like the right decision, yeah. which is beautiful. And so, yes, it was. And I'll never forget. He said, so from now on, we have to leave the decisions up to you. And that was the biggest responsibility that I think my dad had given me at that age. And I just thought, wow, God, um, was really nice it was it was really nice yes no it is it's beautiful it really is oh my disciplinarian dad going this is what we want to do kid and he knew you know he was always he would he would have always let me do it and he was always very happy for me to do it yeah. uh but that was a time after me you know because as a teenager i fought with my dad a lot because a teenage boys do yes of course uh, particularly in the sort of environment I was raised in. And then for him to turn around and go, it's in your hands now, lad, uh, was quite special. <laughs> well, good. Oh, and I'm goodness. sure I'm sure they are uh, very proud of all you've achieved since. So oh, now they are, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, indeed, but uh, yeah, absolutely. And they should be. So tell me uh, how you see through your time at Pendleton uh, and what happens next. Ah, oh, Pendleton was wicked. I, I'd been in boys, I'd been in Catholic boys education for nine years. And all of a sudden, 
I was at Pendleton. I was at Performing Arts College and there was 90 kids in the year, 30 in each class or something like that. Um, and everyone was there to sing and dance and, and, and be expressive and learn. And, uh, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I got involved in everything extracurricular. Um, funnily enough, um, this, and I'm so glad it was, but the chamber choir was the cool thing to be in at Pendleton. Oh, like, wow. There was two choirs. There was the contemporary choir, which did a, like, um, you know, a lot of pop stuff um, in, like the Bellas, what's it called? Pitch Perfect sort of style. And then there was the chamber choir. And so that love of music and that love of choral music that I'd had earlier on. Yes. I found really hard to get to grips with um, because I was like, well, I love, I like the music and I like singing and I like what this is and how this feels, but I don't love the subject matter. And I got to the college and I was like, you're fucking kidding me. The chamber choir is a cool one to, to be in. Um, but I listened to them perform and I was like, yes, that's exactly where I want to be. Over those two years, I, f I felt deeply back in love with choral music. And in the last year I was there, there was a group of eight of us um, that we got together and we used to sing, well, with the head of the department, Neil Bennett, um, we would stay after on a Friday afternoon uh, and we would do eight part, like uh, madrigals from, from, well, from the middle ages nearly. And uh, the oldest one we did was Lottie's Crucifixus. Um, which is from something like 48 or 60 AD, which is just eight part. God, amazing, amazing piece. And I felt so in love with that again. And in terms of public performance, uh, whilst you were doing your two years there, did you? Yeah, so I massively fell in love with it. I, I learned to dance. I'd sort of, there was kind of a running joke at my Amdram that I couldn't dance. Uh, and I couldn't because I was stiff as a board because I loved going to the gym because military dad and rugby school. So you got to be a big dude. So stiff as a board, cannot dance. Um, but I'd always sort of, I'd, I always really wanted to. And it, it sort of, I remember the first time everyone was like, oh my God, dad, I can't dance. Me not knowing that. And me being like, oh, well, that's embarrassing. I, you know, I was having quite a lot of fun here and now I'm conscious of it. Um, and so when I was going to Pendleton, uh, I was really excited to get into like the proper discipline of it. I'd wanted dance lessons for a long time, but there, there, there was none really for, for, and well, no, that's not true. But I would have been the only boy in a class yeah. in Stockport, yeah. you know, and I would, in, in, as, as a young lad, I, w I wouldn't have felt comfortable sort of going into a new discipline as a teenager, having come to it later. Because a lot of dancers, particularly boys who dance, dance from a very, like they either, they either dance from five or six or a lot of the boys that I know who dance started at 16, 17. Yeah. In my first year at Pendleton, they, New Adventures held open auditions for a production, touring production of Lord of the Flies that was directed and choreographed by Matthew Bourne and uh, the late Scott Ambler. I was fortunate enough to get a place on that. So they had, um, they uh, 
there was a group of, I think, 12 of Matthew's New Adventures dancers that toured the country with it. And in every venue uh, around the country, they got another 12 or 16 local lads who they wanted to get into dance. And it was Matthew Bourne's initiative of getting young men uh, from unlikely backgrounds into dance. Um, and it was phenomenal. This was the first time I was in a cohort of young men and dancing and athleticism was the currency. And I'd had about six months of in of, of formal training at Pendleton that I that I was enjoying. But um again, I'd joined a group of people who had been dancing for 10, 12 years. Um, and so I was starting way further behind and I was trying really, really hard to catch up. And then um I think it was more to do with my athleticism as a rugby player that um new adventures uh sort of went yeah this uh, this this is a this is a good this is a good candidate for this so we rehearsed that i think over 6 months twice a week and uh then we got to the Lowry theater where we performed it um and we had two weeks rehearsal there we were we were all off college and school um and we were told that we, you know, we'd been working with Scott, who was just the most wonderful man. Um, he was one of the first people, uh, along with Sam Broadbent, uh, who also looked after us there, who let me move as I move and who made me feel comfortable with my body and what my body is and the way my body leaps and the way my body jumps and turns on and um and all of this it it wasn't anticipated that we were going to be working with matthew but i think because we were the first venue um and it was a very um as far as i'm aware it was quite a new style of project you know something like this hadn't particularly been done before um matthew came to look after it for the last two weeks and that was very exciting what was he like to work for Oh God, Matthew, he's wicked. Uh, really great. He's so, so lovely. It was the first time on a, well, I mean, the first time for me on the stage like the Lowry. I'd done the Plaza in Stockport, but not, uh, not in something of this scale. And, you know, it was a sellout show for two weeks and it was, you know, just, it was the first taste of what the real, what the real deal is and you know you're looking at this i don't know how big the lowry is it might be 1500 2000 it's yeah, big it's theater, big actually. in there yeah and just you know and matthew was just uh i think he was sat in the circle or in the stores and stuff but he's just a voice just on the god mic just doing everything around and as all as you know young lads who really want to do well because by this point if you didn't have a background before we knew what we were in for, you know what I mean? We knew the severity of the situation and, and, but also just how lucky you were at the same time in that, do you know what I mean? It wasn't, it was scary and it was intimidating, but it was a challenge that I think we all wanted to tackle. Matthew was absolutely fantastic. He was, um, he just spoke to us. He spoke to us like his dancers. And so did, uh, so did the dancers. Um, Domi North, Danny Rubens, really, really, really lovely boys. Leighton Williams was in that show, actually. Oh, and was really he? Were just, he was, yeah. And so Leighton was only 19 at the time, but he'd wow. done a, he'd done bad education already. 
And so for me, like meeting someone off the television, I was like, oh my God, um, which is hilarious these days. <laughs> um, but they really took us in and they treated us like professionals. Um, and we loved it. Absolutely loved it. That was a really, yeah, grew a lot in that time, I think. It was a, cause I wasn't a comfortable dancer going into it. I remember being at the audition, just thinking, just looking around the room, looking at what everybody else is doing and just thinking, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Um, and I can't do this like they can do this. Um, and then I got the gig and I was like, oh my God, I, I think I might be in a bit over my head here. But then just the way they nurtured it and the way they nurtured us, which makes total sense now, you know, that it was a project to get boys into dance. Oh God, those were some good days. But it was a real first taste of professionalism. Absolutely. Really. And I mean, this this is the big time. This is a, a 1,500-seater uh, arena. Uh, you've been choreographed by Matthew Bourne, who's who's kind of changed the face of dance and in, in, in probably draws bigger audiences than anybody else staging uh, dance productions at the moment. And uh, this is, this is you're, you've hit the big time in a sense. Yeah. You know, you've certainly got a taste of what the big time is like. Next stop was drama school, I think. And, uh, was the, was a three-year drama course? The Guildford School of Acting. Yes, tell us about that. When I was auditioning for drama schools, I did the National Youth Theatre induction course and it was the best two weeks of my life. Uh, if you're a young person who's thinking about applying, do it. It's amazing. Uh, even just for those first two weeks as a summer course, unbelievable, incredible. Some of my best friends to this day came from that course. Um, but the Guildford School of Acting, I auditioned for both musical theatre and acting. Um, because I didn't know particularly, I hadn't sort of committed to a route that I wanted to go down, but I also didn't necessarily, I definitely didn't realise how drastically different training in those disciplines and how different the skill set on the other side is, which might sound daft now, um, but if you are a 17-year-old and you're thinking about going to drama school, uh, if you want to be in musicals, do musical theatre training, sure. If you want to be a lead in musicals, this is controversial, but I would say go to acting school. Uh, and if you want to be in film and televisions and plays, go to acting school. The work that I want to do these days is very much more acting training focused. Right. Uh, and we really didn't do a lot of acting work at Guildford. The musical theatre course was very dance and singing heavy. Um, and there was a lot of acting through song, sure, loads, but not a good, not a great amount of text work. Spring Awakening came along. Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. So, been, in case anybody doesn't know, it is, is a terrific uh, musical and actually probably a good example of one that uh, requires more acting skills than perhaps a lot of musicals would. Uh, well, actually, say. yeah, that's really interesting. I, I've always considered myself uh, a decent actor yeah. uh, and I've always considered myself very interested in acting, whereas um, some people are more interested in other parts of the discipline and that's not a good or a bad thing. In my third year, uh, I got an agent uh, after my first show. I was very fortunate, actually. Um, I had a good role in my first show. And uh, so you do three shows over the year and agents come and then they uh, sort of, take the pick and you have interviews and you choose. Um, but I got one early on. To interject there, fortunate is one definition of that, talented is another. Well, if it's talent, I I'm not responsible for that. That's mum and dad's job. 
<laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I can, and I'm saying this because my mum will absolutely roast me if I sit here and say it's all to do with luck and talent. And it is 99% to do with luck and talent, but you've got to graft. You've got to be able to graft and you've got to have resilience and you've got to be able to swallow your pride and you've got to be malleable. And there are so many qualities that are hard to maintain that do take an enormous amount of resilience. And when you measure that against the luck and against the fortune, it's very, very hard to make sense of anything which is why it's it's so very hard i know so i know hundreds of unbelievably talented actors that haven't worked or don't work as much as they should because sometimes the dice just doesn't fall the timings are wrong but you do get that you're good dara don't you i mean it's um uh yes there is luck and yes you graft but you are uh about to be seen in a production that's produced by steven spielberg you went around the country yeah. on Spring Awakening uh, during your time at um, uh, at Guildford, and you've just appeared in Olivier winning musical that's about to go back into the West End. But that's there is talent there as well. You know that, I hope. Well, well thank you very much, Michael. I mean, look at me trying to do anything to avoid a compliment, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should, I should, I should be better to myself in that respect. You, you are right. And I and 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 I say that not just for me, but for anybody else as well. Is that you do have to give yourself some credit from time to time, yes. an appropriate amount of credit. You know, don't have to go mad, but it's, uh, occasionally you do have to just just say, "All right, kid, you you're on the right track." If that, <laughs> look at me, <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> can't even say you're doing good oh my god but no spring awakening was was uh, a wonderful time for me i uh, i auditioned in my third year and i got to leave early and do spring awakening at the hope mill in manchester with luke shepherd who i absolutely love and adore and that was a very special time for me particularly because i love manchester yeah I love Manchester so much, but there's been a lot of times where I've not felt Manchester's loved me. Sure. And that's personal. That's not to do with anybody else. That's just to do with, with me and my own sort of misgivings or shortcomings. And I got to go back to Manchester on my first job and I was playing the lead in a show. And it was a, a show that I loved, a character that I really connected with who had been brought up in a disciplinarian uh, I mean, the upbringing that Melchior has is is a lot stricter than mine was, but there are massive, massive parallels there. It was just so lovely to go home and say, you know, because I, I was I was working in in the Hind's Head in Heaton Chapel, just on the edge of Heaton Norris, which is you know I live in Heaton Chapel, that's where my dad are. Before I went to drama school, and as an eighteen year old there, in you know local Stockport, there were a lot of people that were a bit like, all right, okay, go down to go down to be an actor. All right, you know, let us know if you need any shifts when you come back. Sure. Um and I got to go back yeah. and I got to do my show. That's and and I didn't need to shout about it or like, you know, run around tell everybody, I'm back and I'm doing it and I told you all or anything. It was just it was just I uh 
I'm I'm back and I've done it. And if and if that's what I've done, then, right, so I mean, it, then I've, I've done and, something. And well done you. And for those who may not be aware, Melchior is basically the leading part in Spring Awakening. It's an ensemble piece, but that's the most significant character, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, between Melchior and Venler, they tell most of the story with uh, Moritz. So I get a text from the producer, Kelly Lothian, who now produces at Theatre 503. And she said, uh, Darry, we've got this We've got this workshop starting on Monday. It's top secret. But, you know, it's, it's a week long. We were able to come down. And I was like, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get me in, get me in. And I go in. And Stephen Sater sat there. And I'm just losing my mind. And Stephen, he comes up to me and he shakes my hand. And I go, Stephen, it's really nice to meet you. And he goes, oh, Melchior, nice to meet you. I've seen your tape. And I was like, oh, my God. Stephen Satan's watched me do Melchior. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> no, but it was, ah, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that, man. I'll never forget That's... that. Just for me. That was really, really nice. Stephen Satan called me Melchior. I'll take it. That's fantastic. And you're going from strength to strength. You have the lead part in Spring Awakening at the Hope Mill when you're still at, at Drama School. Drama School. Um, and then uh, the next thing is you are in an Olivier winning musical in the West End. And mm. that is, tell us about that. It's great. Sky's Edge. My Lord. Sky's Edge has been a good time. I adore that show so much i did i did a few jobs between spring awakening and, and the national i did snow white at the london palladium i did uh guys and dolls at sheffield crucible um i did a show called bear a pop opera at the vaults i loved them and they were good jobs and stuff and they were enjoyable but it wasn't where my passion lay but i did sky's edge for the first time we started rehearsals in february 2019 oh my god it is Beautiful. It's written by Chris Bush and Richard Hawley with orchestrations from Tom Deering. And for me personally, perfect piece of theatre. But incredibly uh, well. It won two Olivier's. It was a huge hot ticket and is returning to the West End. Um, it is next year. Fantastic. In the Gillian Lynn. Fantastic. And the next thing that uh, you will uh, be seen in, I think, by many people listening, uh, is the Masters of the Air. T tell us a little bit about that. Oh, goodness gracious me, this, this was unbelievable. This, that job, I learned a lot on that job. So I get, I get a call from my agent at the time and he goes, look, there's this audition come through, like, it looks really good. Uh, that's it, but he couldn't really say a lot. He was like, I need you to slick your hair down because all of them need to be slicked and you need to be clean shaven and uh, the, uh, the sides, there was two sides, there was two scenes, and there was about three, four lines in each of them. And he was like, but he was, <laughs> possibly, but I was I was sort of getting to the ropes with the whole telly business then. Uh, and I was probably bringing a lot of theatre into my auditions that, you know, I hadn't got the understanding yet of quite how different those disciplines are. And so he told me, he was, he was, he was really hammering at home. He was like, just do this one well. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. Um, so I spent, God, I spent hours that day. Uh, and I remember because in the scene, there was a, he had to be eating a baked potato, <laughs> a baked potato, but I'd eaten about six potatoes by the time I, <laughs> uh, by the time I got the take I wanted. And then two days later, he calls me up and he goes, so you've got a recall for this thing. And I was like, you're lying. You, like, oh, great, amazing, great, like, you know, 
I'd done one telly thing already, but I was like, I was dying to get my next one. Um, and I was like, great, brilliant. And he was like, he told me all about it. He told me, you know, he said, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and Gary Getzman had seen my tape and they'd wanted me to come back in. And I did not know what to do with that information. So I got off the phone with my agent and I rang my mom and I bawled down the phone to her. <laughs> I was like, I felt weighing over my head. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I like, you know, all of this, that and the other. And and I was shaking. Um, and I was, I was on, I was in the park in North Woolwich, just going for a walk by myself one day. And so I was just sat on a swing in a park crying to my mom being like I don't know what to do and she's just like she calmed down and she was just like just just go and like you know she's just like just go and do your best and I was like all right so that it was the next day and I only had to do the same scenes that I'd done already but for the casting directors yeah uh over zoom and I'd done the tape January 2021 and on March 23rd 2021 my agent called me and I'd just been in for a remake of something else that I really wanted. I thought the ship had sailed, uh, you know, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. It was nice. And for me at that point, that had, that had still been the biggest audition of my life. You know, it, even to get that audition, to get a recall was, was, was an enormous, like sort of was an enormous success for me. Like I, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was, I was proud of myself even for that. And I'd just been in for this other thing and my agent rings up and, uh, and he goes, we've got an offer. And I was like, brilliant, cracking, you know, fill me in. And I go, it's for Masters of the Air. I was so overwhelmed with joy. Uh, but, you know, I was quite anxious. I was quite nervous because, you know, sure. uh, I had to put my money where my mouth is at this point and, 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 and do the gig and do it well. Can't do that gig, not well. Um, so I went off to do two weeks boot camp with um a man called captain dale die who is an absolute legend he's an absolutely remarkable man in this sense boot camp does mean physical training so not for us it was peak covid in 21 and things really weren't open um so they they couldn't they couldn't facilitate quite as a in-depth camp as they did for uh, some of the for, for other productions that they worked on but we had no idea what to expect and so we spent two weeks basically in a classroom uh we did drills as well we learned to march we did you know we did lots of exercising together but we didn't have to camp or sort of you know be horrified or traumatized if yeah. you will like they did on saving private ryan now uh, you know we weren't sleep deprived or we weren't you know made to survive on rations at all it was a it was relatively cushy. Um, but, uh, we learned an awful lot about uh, the roles of the men. We all played real men, or most of us played real men. I was very nervous going into that because it's like as because I was going onto a film set with all these bloody giants, you know, people that I've watched throughout my whole life, and thinking, God, right, okay, now it's my turn. I've got to do this right. Most of us got given three weeks on the job, and then it would extend. Oh, they just ask you back, you know, can you come back for this back, this back, this back, you know, can you come back next week? Uh, what are you doing in a couple of weeks? We could use you in a scene then. So I ended up on the job for nine months, yeah. uh, which was from start to finish. I was there on day one. 
and I finished filming about twelve days before they all did. Um, just just so it, that people are clear on 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 this, this is this is not just that they're calling you back to do what you originally expected, and there was a, a sequence in filming. They oh god no. Role. So so you set off. You said earlier that you had the objective of you told yourself you must do it well. The reality is mm. that by the end you've done you appear on screen a good deal more than you originally intended to which is doing fingers crossed uh, i mean yeah i, I had um <laughs> but how did that come about they uh they when they gave out the offer they gave out because they needed a lot of young men that were similar to me and then went oh we'll, we'll drag you and we'll take you and we'll take you and is it or, or, or we like working with him or, or that's nice um over there um so we were basically employed to improvise for a lot so which is why we had to go and learn uh so much about who we were um and how everything worked you know like i could i could i could fuse the 200 pound bomb for you right now if you want well i, I yeah. couldn't but <laughs> but theoretically <laughs> you know um everyone everyone was given three weeks so they, they told me i'd get three weeks filming but they couldn't tell us when they could just tell us when the first week was i made a bit of a scene at the boot camp on the last day, I'd organised uh, some some beers for the military advisors, and I'd done a little speech at the end for all the men because we, you know, we we did the whole thing in uniform, in costume, in character for the whole two weeks. You know, we 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 were those boys. Um, you know, sometimes you nip out for a cigarette and you'd have a little chat or this, that, and the other, and it wasn't. But particularly by the end of it, like they were very they were really encouraging us to to live in our uh, to live in our roles. So I'd made a bit of a scene and made a big speech presenting to Captain Die, which will possibly be the best thing I've ever done in my life. Like it was, it's not often that I felt like the man of the hour. And that day I felt like the man of the hour. And I don't mean to be conceited or anything, but I just think, you know, that day, that was a really good day for me. That was a really good day for me. And I, and I had a really nice time and I did some nice things. Um, and I think the director of the first four episodes, I think he, I think he likes that. And I think he picked me out for that. So you and then, yeah. made yourself stand out and did so in such a way that your role was expanded. That, that That's what you're saying. I mean, that, that's great. I did, yes. I didn't do it thinking, oh, they'll give me loads more for this. No, no. Sure. I was sort of just having a really great time. Sure. Sure. And I was like, this is wicked and I'm going to be involved. And I was really involved with all the boys, which was, which was a big thing for me, actually, because... I don't know if it's to do with my experience in school. I've never actually considered that before now. But as I was going in, I was thinking, God, I'm going into an all-male environment where there's going to be a hundred-ish lads yes. there that are yes. all my age, yes. that are all actors, that are all starting out. But I, I sort of took myself out of that and thought, God, if I was coming into this, what would I want? I'd want a friendly face. And so I sort of made it my mission from day one to try and get to know everyone. But every day we'd always get about 20 more lads, you know, 10 in the morning and 10 in the evening on, on this two-week boot camp or 10 after lunch, you know, as, as more and more boys were coming. So it's, we started with about 50 and ended with, with quite quite a few. But as a, as boys would come, I always made sure on the first break that I would go over to them, find out what squadron they were in, find their squadron and introduce, you know, each lad to, to five, six, seven of the lads in their squadron, just partly as a defence mechanism, because I thought if I'm the guy that everybody knows, then I don't have to worry about finding my place in this. I can 
you know, I have a purpose then and I have a role and, uh, and I don't have to worry, you know, about where I am in this. I, c- I can be the guy that knows everybody's names because everybody was really struggling with everybody's names and I was, I was good at that. So that's how I got a reputation early on as the guy who just knew everyone's names. So if anybody, you know, because no one wants to be rude to each other, you know, but nobody remembers each other's names when you're meeting hundred people at the same time. And I think that's, I think that stood out. And as I say all these things, I'm, you know, I'm battling with myself. I'm battling with myself thinking, do I sound conceited? How many of these things am I saying? Do I sound like just, oh, this guy thinks he's, he's, he's this, that, and the other, and always, he's Mr. Social or is, you know, he's saying that he's doing it as a defense mechanism, but really he's, he's getting in there because he wants to be seen by the director and all of this stuff. And that is something I struggle with. Well, it doesn't sound remotely conceited. You obviously were impactful on the film set in all ways. That must involve the way that you perform, but you appear to have very effectively got into the role and that appears to have led to the role being expanded. I'd I'd be proud of that if I were you. Mm, well, no, I am. I am. And this is and this is something that I need to learn to try and be consistent with with myself. There are two ways of looking at that. You can either go, this guy's only doing it because he wants to like jump in and schmooze everyone, or this guy's getting to know everybody because he wants to get to know everybody. I really battle with the part of myself that accuses myself of doing things for the wrong reason. But it is something that I'm getting better at, you know? Yeah. Thank you, Derek. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Uh, Very interesting to hear about your journey. Uh, I think you need to be told again just how talented you are and that you haven't just been lucky and maybe try and tell yourself that a bit as well. But uh, oh, cheers, Michael. I do. I am. I am doing. I'm, I'm better at that these days than maybe I've been. Good. And I'm sure you're going to go from strength to strength personally and professionally. Where would you like to be in 10 years time? What's What would be the, the ideal situation? Uh, I'd love to be back at the National. I'd love to go to the Almeida. I'd love to go to the Donmar, you know. But my dad likes old westerns and he likes old war films. <laughs> so I'd like to make an old western and an old war film for my dad. And I would say I'd like to make something Irish for my mum. But being raised in England and with an English accent, it's not fair for me to take that off an Irish person, particularly uh, you know, having English heritage. I understand the context of that, you know, and uh, and that's all that for me. So I'll do something else for mum, maybe something about the parish. <laughs> that's been brilliant. I really enjoyed talking to you, Dara. I'd also like to thank people for listening. I'd like to thank Ben McGowan, who has contributed to the theme music and done the editing and without whom none of this would have happened. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, Dara. Thank you. That's all. That's all, Michael. Thank you so much for having me.